0: I am really excited to kick off a new series uh, tonight with you guys. And Genesis 1-1, the first verse, verse in the Bible says this, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I thought about trying to come up with some other intro, right, like something to kind of draw you in, like make it, you know, but the Bible doesn't worry about that. <laughs> like So I decided not to either. Uh, it doesn't waste any time explaining the necessity for the existence of God instead it asserts two things right in this first verse of genesis in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth two things are told to us first that God was in the beginning second that God created the heavens and the earth and this tells us that everything that exists exists because God made it and really to be honest like in the ultimate sense this is the only satisfactory conclusion to the phrase in the beginning. Okay, in the ultimate sense, right? Any other answer would leave us wanting. So we're starting a new series tonight focused in on the first three chapters of Genesis. And tonight we're covering chapter one, which is the account of God's creation of the universe in general, which is what this first verse is talking about, and also of specific parts of the universe in particular. Now, again, it just assumes that the existence of God is self-evident from the mere fact that things exist. And if the universe had a beginning, which evidence points to the fact that the evidence did have a beginning, then it's not eternal. If it began to exist, something must be there that is not the universe. Because if there was ever absolutely nothing, in the ultimate sense of that uh, phrase, right now, there would be absolutely nothing. So. We know that God is in the beginning. Everything else is reliant on him for uh, its beginning and for its existence. So the biblical account of creation it reveals some things about God to us. Beyond just his existence, beyond his being, uh, as Genesis 1 unfolds, there are some other things we can understand about God. And that, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is what, what we can understand about God from creation. First, we see God's power and authority. God's power and authority. And the next two verses <clears throat> continue. Uh, now, the earth was formless and empty. The King James Version, is, this is the only verse I have memorized in King James. It says the earth was formless and void. And I like that word void, because it just gives a sense of like, ugh, that's kind of scary, you <laughs> know, like this is empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. Now, St. Augustine of Hippo, he was a theologian in the fourth century. He was contemplating just Genesis one, right? He wrote wrote this uh, in his book, Confessions. He said, all these things, talking about creation, proclaim your glory as their creator, O God. But how do you create them? How did you make heaven and earth? It was not in the universe that you made the universe because until the universe was made, there was no place where it could be made nor did you have in your hand any matter from which you could make heaven and earth, for where could you have obtained matter you had not yet created in order to use it as material for making something else? Does anything exist by any other cause than that you exist? It must therefore be that you spoke and it was made. In your word alone you created them. Now this guy's marveling at the same words we read today. Right, the method of God's initial creation is not described in any terms except for God's command. And R.C. Sproul, I love this quote, he says, not even nothing can resist the command of Almighty God. You say, oh, nothing can resist God. No, not even nothing can resist God. God says, let there be light, and there is light. It's not as if there's a vault of light waiting around somewhere. Uh, for God to say something and it'll open up and bam, you know, there's light in the universe. No, like light came into being when God spoke. Like he He commanded something to be that was not and it came into being. This is absolutely incredible. And even just think, like we can't even really think accurately about this. We just don't have any frame of reference for God's power in this act of creation, right? In, in our human acts of creation, we're we're bound by the materials that we have at our disposal, right? You could put the best artist in a room uh, full of supplies and they could make a masterpiece. But if you lock them in a room with absolutely nothing and say, make an oil painting in 24 hours, and then you go and you lock the room and nothing goes in or out, they're not gonna make an oil painting. Now, I know some of you are like trying to figure out what they could make, stop, (laughs) that's not the point, okay? The point is that we are limited, we are inherently limited by what we have at our disposal. God is not. And when he created, he, he didn't make the universe using materials that were laying around. He didn't uh, do anything like that. He, he didn't repurpose anything. The, he created ex nihilo. That's Latin, it means out of nothing. It's been used to describe this act of creation. It was out of nothing. The sheer power of the command of God was enough. And if if thinking about this doesn't, on some level, astonish and astound you and even confuse you, I I just don't know if we're thinking about the same thing. This is ridiculous. This is way beyond anything we could uh, fully understand. Now, God's power, his power in creation, and his authority are really closely tied concepts, right? And both of them are shown in this act of creation. He calls light into being. He says, let there be light. And that that thing pops into existence from God's command and it obeys him. When God creates, he has authority over his creation. And the Bible actually goes further, right, in, in telling us about God's authority. It says he not only created everything, he also sustains everything moment by moment. And to to give some context for, for this, right, the, the founding fathers of the United States, they lived in a time where deism, that's D-E-I-S-M, deism, was a pop, popular religion. Basically it said that you know there was a God, he was an eternal, um, omnipotent God, uh, but he just kind of made the universe and then just kind of left. He like left it to his own existence. So it's a closed system, nothing really you know, is impacted by him. And the classic analogy is a divine clockmaker. Right, that, that's the analogy they would use, is that this, this person builds a clock, and you know, in this case, the whole universe, they set it ticking, and then they just kind of leave it to his own devices. And he's not, not directly involved in the operations of what he's made. Now, this idea, even though as Christians, we don't think this, it actually has pretty profoundly impacted our culture. Right? We tend to think that God is, is really concerned at certain times and maybe in certain places that he has special care uh, for certain things. That, that's true, but it misses this idea of God's moment-by-moment moment sustaining. Uh, the Bible, contrary to this idea of a, a distant God who's only concerned with uh, particular times and places, says that the second person of the Trinity, the Son, uh, sustains all things by his powerful word. That's Hebrews 1.3, three says the Son is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus Christ is the only reason things exist right now. He's not only the person through whom they were made initially, he's the only reason they exist right now. And every, every subatomic particle in the universe exists because Jesus wants it to. And just to, to bring this maybe a, a little more personal, While Jesus was being insulted, beaten, crucified by Roman soldiers, the bodies that they used to beat him, the voices they used to insult him, and the cross that they nailed him to, only existed because Jesus sustained them. Now, considering that, uh, it makes me even more amazed, right, that, that Jesus cared enough, that he was willing to endure that deep humiliation from from these people who used the things he was actively giving them to insult him and to make him suffer. So God, God is intimately involved in every detail of life. He's involved in every detail of the universe. And the things that we describe as natural laws, these are just describing God's normal operations in the world, right? This is how God works. So he, he not only has power to create, he also has authority over what he creates. The second thing we can see from this act is God's creativity. And verses six through 25 in Genesis one give us a progression of God making different things. Uh, in your handout, the verses that mention these are laid out, I am gonna read these. These are some excerpts of different things and you can go and read the chapter if you'd like the full passage. It's mostly descriptions of these things and God seeing them as good which we'll get to later. So these are some parts from Genesis 1, 6 through 25. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. God called the vault sky. Let dry ground appear. Let the land produce vegetation. Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And God said, let the land produce living creatures. Now in Genesis 1, 6 to 25, several different things are mentioned that God creates. And we have some pictures we're gonna look at here. This is amazing. Right, I think this is the Alps I mean, that's just crazy. You can go to the next one. This is the Amazon Rainforest, right? This is like already some pretty amazing variety, right? Let's keep going. Have you guys ever looked out at the Milky Way at night? Have you ever been in a spot with less light pollution and looked up and actually been able to see the band? It's, it's crazy. Sometimes you don't even need a telescope, it's wild. like deep sea stuff, crazy. We all know like jellyfish, right? I don't even know, is that a jellyfish? I have no idea. I typed weird sea creatures into Google. <laughs> this is one of the things that came up. Little bird, recently and we went to Tahoe and there was a place where you could hold seeds in your hand and little birds would land and eat out of your hand. It was awesome. This is what I see, like these little guys, you know, just just eating some seeds. I don't know how y'all feel about frogs, but there's one, you know, that's crazy. A bee, I don't like bees. I know some people are like, oh, I just don't like them. But it's a really good example of of variety, right? Like this thing, look at, imagine how small that is. Think about like a blue whale and a bee, right? Like God made all of this stuff. I think this is the last one, some deer. Classic, right, beautiful. Now, it is classic, trust me. Um, I I am not a very creative person, okay. So I know that uh, there are many of you probably who appreciate these things even more than me, who appreciate the amount of of beauty, of variation and genius that's just present in the natural world. And why does that exist? Why, why does this sort from of a beauty or variation or gen- like why does that exist? Uh, if you think beauty exists outside of human experience, why do you think beauty is a thing at all? Like, why, why are things beautiful? It's because the creator appreciates and approves beauty. And I, for one, am very grateful for that. Um, I really like music. That's like maybe the one area I can be a little bit creative in, right? And when I hear a song that makes me like melancholy happy, do you guys know those, those songs? Yeah, it's like melancholy happy is actually kind of nice sometimes. Um, when I hear a song that makes me want to dance or run a marathon, which is never going to happen. Um, <laughs> I may have the desire, but it dies quick after the song's <laughs> over. I, I just want to recognize that, that great music, like it is an expression of beauty, not just in the the mental capacity to compose or to, to create, but also in the, the physical performance. Like there are some really awesome physical performing. Uh, like musicians who just are, it's beautiful to watch them do what they do. And the same goes for other art forms, right? Maybe that's not, maybe music is not your thing, but you can pick an art form. There are things that are really, really beautiful in that. And that exists because God approves of and appreciates beauty. That's a way that we as human beings can actually reflect something of our creator. And then while we're on this aspect of creativity, I want to talk about something that can, can bring up questions, uh, and that is, you know, how did God do this, right? We know for the initial creation, like the Bible just tells us, he, he spoke it and it was made, right? For this, there's less uh, methodology described, if you want to call speaking things into existence methodology. So does that apply, his com- divine command? Does that, does that apply equally to all these things that mentioned? You know, do we interpret Genesis Uh, every day to be like a literal 24 hours? Or is like an age? Um, Is evolution an acceptable theory for Christians to believe in? Is it wise to limit God's creativity by saying he did or didn't work through natural processes? These are some questions that get brought up, uh, not only from inside, like the Christian faith, but also from people outside. And R.C. Sproul, he was asked a similar question about the age of the earth, and I think he has uh, a lot of wisdom in his response. He said, when people ask me how old the earth is, I tell them, I don't know, because I don't. And I'll tell you why I don't. In the first place, the Bible does not give us a date of creation. It gives us hints and inclinations that it would indicate in many ways a young earth. At the same time, you get all this expanding universe and stuff that makes me wonder. Now having said that, it's a long way to say, I don't know how old the earth is. So how should we, and by the way, this applies to more than just creation, right? How should we answer questions that the Bible does not directly address. It is way better to admit that we don't have complete certainty than to assert that the Bible teaches something with clarity when it does not. Right? It is not wise to speak dogmatically on things the Bible is not dogmatic about. So for example, the Bible does not say God used evolution as a part of the process of creating all the different animals. It also does not say he did, right? Did or didn't, one of those two. Now, later we're gonna get into one very particular area where it actually is very important uh, to have some clarity on this, the Bible does give us absolute direction on. But this is an area, this act of creation up to this point where the Bible gives us boundaries and you are free as a Christian to believe in the boundaries the Bible has set Uh, really to the best that you're able to discern what's true from other evidence as well. So the biblical account and the physical evidence of the world give us boundaries that we need to uh, believe in and really treat as serious. So what the Bible does say, what you must believe if you're convinced that the Bible is the word of God, is that however God formed the earth, however he created all the life, uh, however that happened, it is God who did it, and he did it on purpose. There's nothing accidental. There's nothing um, arbitrary about God's creation. When he creates, he does it on purpose, and that is the essential, right? If you're gonna pick something essential, pick this. <laughs> like God created things on purpose. The next thing we can see in creation is God's personality. And this next passage is long, I would encourage you to stick with me. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good and it was evening, it was the morning, the sixth day. So this is the creation of, of human beings is the climax of God's creation, right? He goes, he creates things for six days and then he rests on the seventh day. And on day number six, he creates mankind. Now, this portion of Genesis one is specifically concerned with the creation of and commands given to human beings. In chapter two, the author of Genesis is expounding on this, and we find out that humans were created differently from the rest of living things. Uh, for all other things, right? living or non-living, God speaks, we're told that they cre- they're created. There's no mention of exactly the, the method here. Now, in Genesis 2, as the, as the author revisits and expounds on the creation of mankind, we find a different story. In Genesis 2:7, It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now, throughout Genesis 2, we're told that no helper is found for this man, for Adam. Uh, God brings all the animals to him and no, no one's fit. No animal is fit to be his helper. And so in Genesis 2, 21 through 22, we read, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man. Now, in each of the accounts for Adam and Eve, respectively, we see that the Lord takes personal care and personal interest in designing and forming them. In verse 7, the word formed has a direct comparison to the activity of a potter Forming clay with his hands, there's a, there's a personal aspect to this. And after this personal, careful, hands-on design, he doesn't have, God doesn't have hands, but this, is this personal attention that he gives, uh, God doesn't just say, all right, now live, right? He actually breathes into this chunk of dirt that he's just carved out of the earth and formed into a man. He breathes into it to give it life. Do you see how different this is from the rest of the creation account? There's something very uh, intimate about this, when God creates man. And then when no suitable helper for him is found, God doesn't say, all right, let's make a woman, and then a woman pops into existence. No, he does some major surgery on Adam, right? I don't know what uh, anesthetic God used, but it was effective, okay? Because Adam (laughs) sleeps through a rib being ripped out of his body. That is wild, and from this rib, from this flesh that he takes out of man, God makes a woman, and the, the fashioned, uh, made, that word in, in the verses 21 and 22 has this connotation of, of establishing and building, like God is taking some, some personal interest, distinct interest in forming woman. And I mentioned earlier there's, there's one area where Christians need to be absolutely clear on the how of creation, this is it, right? It is, it is impossible to believe consistently in the dignity and the uniqueness of human beings that scripture tells us about and believe that we're merely an evolution of a lower form of life. It's impossible. We need to acknowledge the uniqueness and the difference in human beings from anything else in all creation. And this really is essential, because if you don't do that, you will devalue people. So in chapter one, human beings are identified as being made in the image of God. Now, exactly what that means, right? There's this phrase, the image of God, the likeness of God, uh, that's been debated about for a long time, and that's not gonna stop anytime soon. But whatever the image of God is, right? Whether it's uh, rationality, or moral capacity, or relational capacity, or spiritual capacity, whether it's personality or imagination or our authority over nature, like whatever, whatever it is, whether it's all those things or more, it is the reason that we are told to treat human life as extremely valuable. Okay, it's a, it's a serious affront to the dignity of human beings and to God himself to damage his image bearers. I'll give you one example, right? In Genesis 9, God is speaking to Noah and his sons. They've just uh, landed the boat after the flood and God is speaking to them. And he says in verses five and six, from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made mankind. Now, this is not saying that somehow the, natural consequences like this mystical process takes place where if someone uh, you know, murders somebody else then somehow that's gonna come back to haunt them. This is God instituting harsh punishment for people who dare to murder a human being made in the image of God. And this shows us that God is very, very serious about the value of people because they're made in his image. And this has a direct implication for your life Okay, this means that God values you. You are incredibly valuable to God. And why are are you valuable? Because even though we collectively as a human race and you and me as individuals, we've taken a metaphorical hammer and just done all that we can to destroy the image of God in us, it's still there. Our value is not inherent to us. It is something that we receive from God. And more than just yourself, right? Every person you meet, whether you like them or dislike them, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, no matter how kind they are or how horrible they are to you personally, every single person is made in the image of God. We owe God the respect of treating his most valuable creations with care and with love, not because of who they are inherently, but because of who God is. Okay, the way you treat people has a direct correlation to your relationship with God. God will be pleased or displeased by the way you treat other people. Anything less than seeing people as the the image of God and valuing that, it's an affront to him. So we need to see people as valuable. Lastly, in creation, we see God's purpose. Throughout Genesis 1, as God is making all these different things, says, and God saw that it was good. Now, why do you think that's in there? I mean, seeing something as good, that's not really like a a phrase we would use often in our normal lives, at least. I don't know, maybe you guys are really uh, intelligent and use it all the time. I don't. But to see something as good, right, to say, oh, I I see that as good, that means we, we approve of something. We find it uh, satisfactory. We find some joy in that thing. That's, that's what the Bible tells us God finds in creation. He finds joy. He finds satisfaction. He finds uh, good in creation. And this is why God created, right? God created because he wanted to. It brought him satisfaction to do that. And we're not going to spend long here, but I want to briefly mention this statement is about uh, physical things things with no rationality, right? Land doesn't have a mind uh, or limited rationality like animals you know, and plants. The physical world that God makes is good. And although the, the whole creation is marred because of human rebellion, we can still see the beauty and the goodness in nature. There's nothing inherently bad about the physical world. And then about the creation of human beings, later in Genesis one in verse 31, God said after creating human beings that it was very good. He sees what he's made and says it's very good. So in this divine act, right, of of creation, ex nihilo, the personal creation of human beings in God's image, we really can see his power, creativity, personality, and his purpose. So how should we respond to these things, right? How do we respond to understanding God's character and his works? I have three things here. It'll be worship, submission, and imitation. And we're going to briefly talk about the first two, and then we'll look at how we can imitate God as people who bear his image. So first on your sheet is worship. That is thank and praise God. We thank and praise God. Submission means we respect and obey him. So we have worship God, thank and praise him. And then submission, respect and obey him. Psalm 33 is awesome. It touches on, on these things very uh, wonderfully, in my, in my opinion here. he says, praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the tin stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. Shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm this really gives us such a a rich view of how we should respond to God's character and creation, right? This word revere uh, is not talking about a American revolution horseman, right? It's talking about an attitude. And the way, the way that uh, this word, uh, really the, the meaning here is that we have a, a deep and profound sense of respect and admiration for something. We should revere God. And this word ties together the concepts of worship and submission, right? Admiring God as we should leads to worship. Respecting God as we should leads to obedience. So this is really integral to our responses. We need to worship God as our creator and we need to respect and obey him. And then the last response we're gonna talk about tonight is imitation. Seek to be like God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 gives me a lot of hope uh, because of I know how much I need to grow uh, and how far away I am from being like God. But it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So there are a bunch of ways that we are never going to be like God. Right, his infinity, his eternality, his transcendence. But there are some ways that we actually can and should do our best to imitate God's character as his image bearers. And we see some of these things, uh, we've, we see this in some of the things we've talked about tonight, right? We don't have the power and authority of God, but he's given us some authority over creation. That's one of the things he commands people to do is to, to use their authority over creation well. So we should use that authority in a way that pleases him. Uh, we do not have God's creativity, but we can be creative to some extent, right? We can make things, we can produce things that are beautiful and glorifying to God. Things that ultimately should, should raise our gaze up to him, right? There's this illustration uh, where this person imagines, I think it's C.S. Lewis, he imagines God as the sun and he's, the light that comes from him is all this beauty and blessing in the world. And you see, we, we get so obsessed with the rays of light that we forget to look at the sun. Like, we, we should be always aware of where this light comes from. It comes from God. And so as you're, as you're seeing things, as you're appreciating things that are beautiful, remember that God is the creator, that he ultimately is the most, not only the most beautiful, but that he makes everything else beautiful. We don't have the same personality as God, but we do have the ability to relate with him and with other people. We have the, the ability to love and have meaningful and deep connections with others. And that, that is a way that we should imitate God. And we may never fully grasp God's purpose in creation. We may never grasp his purpose for the circumstances that we grow, go through, but we also can act purposefully. We can act intentionally to do good in the world. That is one of the things God has made us to do, is to do good. Now, all these things are possible for us only because we bear the image of God. He took personal care in forming human beings and we bear his image. Now, we have a problem, right? Because even though we're made in God's image, like I we've all done our best to destroy this image in us because of sin. Now, Adam and Eve did this and as a result of their sin and, and through our personal choice, we also just damage and distort this image of God in us. What God proclaimed very good was damaged. And not only do we inherit the broken nature that was caused by this, but we also rebel against God ourselves. So we are, we are incapable of imitating God while our nature is damaged and twisted, right? While we are in sin, when we have a, a sin nature, we are incapable of pleasing God. We need help from outside of ourselves to be made right with him. And this is what Jesus accomplished by coming from heaven to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God. He paid for our sin, he took away our guilt and he took away our shame. And one of the things that we receive as a result of Jesus' work is a new nature. One that actually actually can imitate God and can please God to an extent that will actually bless not only ourselves in right relationship with him, but also bless the people around us. We wanna show God's character, his goodness, and his holiness to the people that we interact with. So I hope that some of these things have been helpful for you guys. I'm gonna go ahead and pray, and then we'll wrap up uh, with some worship and time to think. Well, let's go ahead and pray together. lord uh, i am just amazed when i think about the power that you showed in the act of creation by the uh, authority that you exert over what you've made Um, god i pray that you would help us as people to recognize our position as created as uh, dependent on you and i pray god that we would recognize our need uh, of saving that we need you to give us a new nature so that we can really be made right with you, that we can imitate you and and actually please you in the way that we live. God, I I just ask that you would do that, uh, that you would give us an awareness of that and help us to focus on on you and who you are as we move into worship and as we move into reflecting on what you want us to do uh, because of these truths. So I thank you for these things in Jesus' name, amen.